it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get right through now, it. COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger, and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. The following is a public service announcement. Election day is near. Go to the polls and vote. Vote for the Kennedy of your choice, but vote. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, that little reminder that uh, Election Day is near. In fact, it's today in the city of Flint for uh, the primary election for Flint City Council. If you're voting in that Flint election, and there there are some uh, things to be decided in uh, a couple of the other towns and villages in Genesee County and around the state of Michigan, um, but that's uh, that's kind of a big one, um, the city council race in the uh, in the city of Flint. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I sat down and visited with uh, all but one of the candidates that will appear on the ballot in uh, today's election in the city of Flint. If um, if you want, um, it's it's done day by day, ward by ward, from uh, July. 15th through July 23rd if you go to the website um, archive and uh, look for those dates you can um, find the ward you're in 
and uh, take a listen and, and get to know the candidates if you haven't already. Um, we got a great show today. Um, it's not all about the election. We kind of did that yesterday talking with Tom Hartman about the uh, hidden history of the war on voting. But today, we've got some fun stuff coming up today. Coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk about uh, a new book that takes the mystery out of money. It uh, is uh, simply called Pathway to Prosperity and uh, written by Mark Lazar. And uh, he's going to join us um, for... uh, a conversation during the third half of our three-hour tour about his book, Pathway to Prosperity, Your Guide to Money and Economics. But uh, we're, we're going to talk about some, some different uh, things throughout the show today in the second hour. This is, this is going to be fascinating to anybody who's ever read about running with the bulls from Ernest Hemingway or anywhere else. Bill Hillman um, has written a memoir um, called The Pueblos, My Quest to Run 101 Bull Runs in the Small Towns of Spain. And in the book, I think he ends up uh, uh, spending about 10 years and and, uh, rolling through about 40 cities. Um, It's interesting he he looks at bull running as as a cultural thing and and we'll talk with bill about that but first returning to the show a year later is um author taylor Mesia, taylor k Mesia, actually and she's part of the rick riordan presents series with her series paula santiago and uh, she was here a year ago to talk about The River of Tears. And she's back with a brand new book that comes out today called Forest of Nightmares. And uh, we will uh, be talking with her coming up in, in just just about a minute or so. Uh, Taylor K. Mesia. A very fun conversation. And, uh, and she folds... Um, Mexican-American folklore into the stories that she tells. And they're a little bit on the, on the scary side. And we'll, we'll talk about that with her and uh, much, much more. Uh, coming up tomorrow, we have uh, Armchair Politics every Wednesday. Janworth Nelson will be joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and uh, Henry Hatter. And uh, we'll also be talking with economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint. So I hope you enjoy the show today and I hope you, uh, well, take us with you in the car on 92.1 FM on your way to the polls in Flint. Um, Or you know, continue to stream us at TomSumnerProgram.com, however you listen to us. We will be here with lots of interesting conversations straight ahead, starting with uh, Rick Riordan Presents author Taylor K. Mesia with uh, Paula Santiago and the Forest of Nightmares. <music> And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My uh, my guest this hour is uh, an author who's part of the Rick Riordan Presents uh, 
brand, if you will, but she has a series that's uh, been widely read and acclaimed, and um, she was on the show, God, I think it was about a year ago, and man, how the time has flown, but she has a new book called Paulo Santiago and the Forest of Nightmares, part of the Paulo uh, Santiago series, and her name is Taylor K. Maya, and she joins me by phone. Hi, Taylor. Welcome back to the show. Morning, Tom. Nice to be here. Boy, how fast did that year go? <laughs> it really did. You were saying a year, and I was like, wow, I can't believe it's been a whole year already. Yeah, I think we were talking about the River of Dreams. River of Tears. River yeah. of Tears. Yep. Yep. I'm sorry. I misspoke. Yeah. But, uh, no problem. Yeah, that was um, book one of a series. And how, how long do you expect this series to go? Trilogy? Five books? Uh, you know. You know, I'm not sure. We're, we're going to do at least three. We just got to announce a couple months ago the third one. So I'm working hard on that one now. And then we'll see where it goes from there. <laughs> How long does it take to get one of these books written and edited and, and laid out and printed and out? How long a process is that? And, and what I'm getting at, Taylor, is are you working on other things at the same time? Always. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty lengthy process. It depends. I mean, it, it varies so widely, and it depends a lot on how good of a job I do the first time. Uh, so I'll do the first draft, and then I have a brilliant editor, Stephanie Lurie at Rick Riordan Presents, who I love working with her. So, yeah, she gets a hold of it after that. And then depending, uh, if there's a lot to work on, sometimes the editing process can take a couple months. If I did a pretty clean job the first time, then it'll only take a couple weeks, and then it goes back to them for copy editing, cover design, page layout, all that kind of stuff, which is out of my hands and also takes a long time. So it can take, you know, a year, year and a half sometimes from first draft until the book is actually in your hands and on the shelf. Is um, Now this is uh, book two, and... Uh, I, I guess what I'm asking is, are they sequential? Are they standalone? Can you read them in any order, or should you really follow the series in order? I think they'll make the most sense if you follow the series in order, but I have heard some people picked up the second one when it was in its advanced copy stage and read it alone and felt pretty comfortable. So there will be some things you miss out on. There's a lot of references to things that happen earlier in the book but i tried to explain the the first book well enough that you could technically read the second one on its own i would recommend reading them in order though well i always wonder about that when you do a series it almost seems like you get to the end of the first book and then but wait there's more <laughs> and <laughs> yep. but they're but they're not always that way sometimes it just becomes a collection of stories featuring those people and places yeah, definitely. I think this series, I like to think that the characters kind of grow up a little bit over the course of the book. So I think it would make more sense to kind of know where they came from. In the first book, Pao is really stubbornly science-obsessed and is really rejecting her mom's culture. But in the second book, she's had to cope with a lot of those mythologies coming to life, literally, in her small town. And so she can't be quite as skeptical as she was. And I like to think there's a sort of evolution of her character that happens from book to book, too. 
Now, here's here's what uh, Publishers Weekly said about uh, the River of uh, Tears. I think it was the River of Tears, or maybe it's this book. But with this adventure, Maya draws upon her heritage to conjure creatures from folklore. And and I want to ask you about that because that's a big part of what the Rick Riordan Presents series is all about, is getting people from diverse backgrounds to tell the stories of their culture and their folklore. Um, how much of this book is... Uh, is Taylor, and how much of it is Mexican-American folklore? Um, I think that they're really, they all come from the same place. <laughs> um, a lot of those stories, especially the scary stories and the Paola books, are stories that I grew up hearing and being absolutely terrified by. So I like to think that, you know, scary stories are kind of the first place that we get to test what kind of people we are in the world in kind of a safe environment. And Mexican-American folklore is full of truly terrifying <laughs> stories. So That's I right. I, early I, on. I'm just remembering now, Taylor, our conversation from a year ago when you... Um, yep. <laughs> when you shared the fact that your mother used to like to terrify you with these stories. <laughs> it was my grandma, but yes. <laughs> yeah. She has a very high threshold for scary things, that lady. <laughs> no. So, yeah, we, I mean, we grew up hearing pretty scary stuff at a very young age. Like, I have an eight-year-old daughter, and there are stories I heard at five that I still haven't told her. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. I, I, I went through that a little bit with my kids, you know, I... I thought Stephen King's It was a movie about clowns. and Oops. Oh, no. <laughs> well, there's always therapy. <laughs> yeah. Saved a lot of money at the circus, though. Um, no kidding. <laughs> but Even I won't watch that movie. They're scary, and then there's Stephen King's It, in my opinion. Yeah. The, the, um, but, but that raises an interesting question about stories that are dark and or scary um is is that often the best way to underline a message that's an interesting question i've never thought about it exactly like that but i think maybe it is i i think the stories that scare us are the ones that really stick with us maybe it gives it more some maybe it gives it that more of a sense of of urgency or importance because it's frightening yeah absolutely i think if you look at any world mythology there are definitely instances of like we're telling this story to children to make them behave and like scaring them is a pretty good way to do that but i think that's because you know being scared taps into this really vital part of our imagination that really sticks with us i mean i'm still scared of la llorona to this day which is why i ended up writing these stories so i definitely think if you want to be memorable being scary is one way to do it more about paula santiago and the forest of nightmares with author taylor k maya straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about Paula Santiago and the Forest of Nightmares with author Taylor K. Maya. Straight ahead. Your books are now associated with, um, of course, as I mentioned, Rick Riordan, but also Disney. Yeah. Yeah. Those are some pretty good names uh, (laughs) in that circle you travel in. Yeah, not bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, well, that's what I'm saying. Now, the books are are written for um, middle grade readers, and and you've written um, young adult fantasy novels uh, prior to this. Um, what was it about the stories your grandmother used to tell you that you thought would be great for a wider audience and and are the stories from the mexican culture different than say from france or germany or um yeah i mean i think it's a lot of what we were just talking about about fear and kind of testing your metal on scary stories when you're very young i think those were the stories when you sit down to write for kids I think a big part of it is just revisiting the kid you were like what was interesting to you and what stuck with you and definitely the the scary stuff was what stuck with me so I thought it would be interesting and fun to kind of share that genre of story with a new generation of readers and then in terms of cultural folklore I think it's interesting the more you study mythology and folklore across cultures the more you realize how similar a lot of our histories are in that regard like there are versions of the same story across all different types of folklore so I like to think of it as like kind of a thread of just like common shared experience that we get to kind of translate across cultures which I think is really powerful I've had a lot of readers pick up the Paolo Santiago books who are not Mexican-American and go oh this story reminds me of a scary story from my cultural folklore wow I didn't expect to relate so much to a story that I didn't know anything about going into it so I think it's it's a nice way to show that we have that shared humanity, no matter what culture we're telling stories from. Now, Pow has, uh, if I if I'm reading this right, um, a chupacabra puppy named Bruto. <laughs> yes, she does. Has she figured out how to tame chupacabra? You know, she's still <laughs> having a tough time with it. <laughs> I think that's the one constant. I think she grows and changes throughout the book, but I think her struggle with chupacabra puppy training is the one constant. Um, but the, I, I wanted to get into the whole idea of chupacabra because that is uniquely Mexican. But are there um, creatures that are, are similar in in the other cultures that we might uh, embrace reading uh, some of the, the Rick Riordan presents offerings? You know, I don't know that there is a, a, a creature similar to a chupacabra. Not that I've personally found anyway. It's such a, like, unique history, too, because, I mean, there's obviously, you know, there's an explanation, which my dad was fond of telling me after my grandma had spooked me beyond return. <laughs> that, you know, it was, it was just, you know, coyotes that had this certain kind of mange that it made them, you know, 
turn more predatory and don't worry, they're not real, but I have seen and heard things that make me think that none of those explanations are real. <laughs> I'm sure. There, but I think there are creatures like that across folklore, things that like maybe you were scared of or that ate your crops and that there was maybe an explanation that didn't quite do the job of of fully explaining why they were so terrifying. <laughs> now, how does a young girl um, with a pet chupacabra <laughs> um, form an interest or fascination in, in science and space? It was actually the other way around for her. Powell sort of started out being so science-minded because science and facts and logic, kind of in the same way that I was just explaining my dad used to explain the science of stories so that I wouldn't be too scared of them. That's kind of what Powell has done with her mom's cultural superstitions. Her whole life is like, oh, well, there's no La Llorona, but there are actually common sense reasons to stay away from the Gila River. You could drown, there are cold pockets, you could get your clothes snagged on a branch. So she's kind of turned to to facts and logic and science to explain away some of the scarier things her mom has told her. But then as she goes in the first book on this search for her best friend Emma, who's gone missing, she sort of starts to realize that maybe the world is more complicated than the black and white way she's she's trained her brain to view it so the chupacabra came after the science is <laughs> the short version well i i just i find that fascinating i mean in in a way her having a chupacabra puppy is um a little bit like dr frankenstein's pet monster yes exactly no i think that's so true it's 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 definitely the most real world representation of her kind of learning a lesson that we all have to learn, which is maybe that the that that the way we're so sure of how the world is and works when we're twelve, I think there's nobody who's more confident in their worldview than a twelve year old. That you know, we all have to learn that the world is bigger and more varied and nuanced than we believed when we were twelve. But how does us to learn it in a little bit more tangible of a way than most kids? Now I I'm reading some of the. Uh some of the accolades from your last book, The River of Tears, and, and this one's uh, really kind of fun for the purpose of our conversation today. A new hero's fantastic and fantastical debut. Her next appearance can't come soon enough. That's from Kirkus Reviews. And her next appearance is here. <laughs> it's today. <laughs> yeah. it, it is, in fact, today. Um, and this is uh, Forest of Nightmares, um, how do you approach writing about something like nightmares? Yeah, that's an interesting one. It's always, it's easier to describe a tangible thing. You know, you can write about what a tree looks like all day, but when you have to di dive into kind of the cultural mythos of a bad dream, I mean, bad dreams have been used in so many different kinds of stories to portray so many different kinds of things. It can be about our own fears. They can be, in Powell's case, about things that are actually happening. And so I think just understanding what fear means and how it works. There was a lot of research I had to do because I know that everybody experiences fear in different ways. And so I actually just went on, like, long internet message boards about, like, how do you feel fear? Like, how do different people experience fear in their bodies? And then kind of 
thinking about how that would work specifically with Pow as the person that I've, you know, written her to be. So it's definitely interesting to think about just fear in general and how everybody responds to it uniquely. And I think a nightmare is just this really distilled form of our worst fears. Like, personally, I had a nightmare right before I woke up for this call that I couldn't connect with any of the radio <laughs> I was supposed to do. This I've my, had my, that my nightmare. was muted. I bet you have. I've never had this specific one before because I, you know, I only do radio once a year. But <laughs> I was like, couldn't. Oh, Taylor, couldn't that's funny. To work. It, it, I, um, so, yeah. I was working at a radio station. This was 30, 40 years ago. And they were getting a new transmitter, and part of my job is because I signed on in the morning was to turn on the transmitter, and, uh-huh. and it was you know a, a fairly simple process. There were two or three steps to it, you know, and it was a routine every morning. And then there was going to be this next shift that I worked, starting up a different transmitter, and and my nightmare was I walked in and and it was like the dashboard of of a commercial airliner (laughs) and i had absolutely no idea what put button to push first and second and all that i I didn't know how to make any of it work and and of course the funny reality was they had simplified it it literally was pushing a button just one button yeah Yeah. not quite not quite a commercial airliner (laughs) no not at all but that's funny i've had that i've had that dream meant <laughs> um i i don't know i i think it's um uh, for me it was about not feeling technically very adequate you know that that yeah technology was difficult for me and and so i you know feared the worst yeah absolutely i think that's pretty common fear that's what uh, definitely for me it's like new things and you're being connected to new and i don't do radio that often so i'm like okay well here we go hopefully it, and you know it's a schedule and there are people who are depending on you <laughs> so, yeah i think you know our fears come from sometimes very predictable places maybe with our two nightmares but i just think it was funny to start my release day for a book called forest of nightmares with a nightmare <laughs> well yeah i and what's interesting about that uh Taylor, as I was just getting ready to, to, you know, try to get into and talk about how unique dreams and nightmares are to people, like fears, and yeah. and then, boom, you describe a nightmare that is one almost exactly that I've had. And, I know. <laughs> you completely exactly. undermined where I was going to go with that. But, um, but are there... Are there some common themes, then, in dreams and nightmares? I mean, everybody's had the experience of the falling dream. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because I did the same thing. You just asked me why I write about nightmares, and I was like, oh, everybody's response to fear is different, and then here we are having the exact same nightmare. Uh, And actually, I think that speaks to an even more important point, which is that, you know, fear is actually kind of universal. Everyone has had the falling dream. I think most people have probably had a nightmare that they failed at their job or failed at school or let somebody important down. So I think, like, our dreams are in a lot of ways practice and kind of they point out 
where what we care the most about you know obviously we're both very invested in our jobs you're very <laughs> invested in that transmitter you have to turn on Pal's very invested in her family and her community so her dreams show her when there's danger happening there that she can respond to so yeah i think it's so funny that we both were trying to go for the like dreams and nightmares and fears are so specific to each individual but really the point we accidentally ended up making is that fear is a pretty universal experience is are 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 dreams a foretelling of something or um some way of of putting reality into some sort of relief i like that idea i think yeah i mean in my opinion dreams are kind of i mean it's in the most mundane explanation is that a dream is kind of a way for us to work out our subconscious preoccupations when maybe we don't have the time or the mental resources to do that while we're awake. But also, I love the idea of of dreams being sort of planted or guided and giving us kind of, yeah, like a heads up of what's to come. I've certainly had dreams like that before. My dad is a very stoic person who famously has had several prophetic dreams. He dreamed about a car crash at the end of his road right before it happened as a teenager, and he's had several dreams where he'll call me out of the blue and ask me a question he shouldn't know the answer to <laughs> like just because he had a dream about it. So that's the kind of thing that, you know, I can't, I can't personally explain how that happens. And that's why I think it's so interesting. In the, uh, um, what is the significance of um, there being a forest attached to nightmares? Yeah, I think um, it's, well, first of all, I mean, the the simple explanation is that I grew up in the woods of Oregon, so a forest is a really kind of a powerful uh, setting for me. I had some of my best childhood dreams and adventures in a big forest on my grandparents' property, but also terrifying things happened there. My brothers and I were fond of, like, hunting scorpions. We would literally turn a log over and catch scorpions in a drawer <laughs> which i'm thinking i did that at the age my daughter is now the idea of her just going into the woods unsupervised with a jar and trying to catch a scorpion it's like terrifying to me <laughs> but yeah definitely a childhood setting that i brought back to life but also i think you know it's it's so interesting to think about our fears as kind of a tangled, twisted, haunted forest in our minds. So it felt like a way to kind of externalize all the things that Powell's going through. She's terrified of so many things and her life is changing in so many big ways. So it definitely made sense to put her in a landscape that she was unfamiliar with that was a little bit unforgiving because that was what was happening in her interior life also. Is a forest of nightmares um, symbolic of of maybe uh, a a fear within a nightmare that you can't escape? Yeah, I think so. And there's definitely a scene in Forest of Nightmares that, that I won't give too much away, but where Pow is is in the forest, which is a real forest, but is showing up in her dream, and she can't escape it until a sort of guide shows up to help her through it, which is definitely, I think, a metaphor for her, you know, needing to needing to follow her instincts. 
things to get through her own kind of interior nightmare force, but definitely also happens in the external world. What's next for uh, Paula? Oh, pal. <laughs> My <laughs> poor pal. Uh, yeah, I'm like, it's hard to say too much about book three without giving away book one since it's just the first day, but there's definitely more on the horizon for her. She, uh, she finds out something pretty big about herself and her family at the end of this book, which I won't give away. And then book three is really about her connecting the pieces that she's found out about her family and herself to kind of her larger heritage and the legacy of her family. So it's, it's a bit of a struggle. <laughs> There's a lot more uh, terrifying monsters and a lot more externalized fears of hers to process. But I like to think by the end of it, she's really, uh, she's really gotten the hang of something. <laughs> well, this is, uh, this is now book two. Uh, the first uh, yep. the book one was uh, Paulo Santiago. I keep saying Paolo, and it's Paola Santiago. No problem. And the River of Tears was book one, and this one uh, is and the Forest of Nightmares. Um, the, I guess, I guess why what I want to say before we run out of time, as I always do, Taylor, is give you an opportunity to let people know where they can find out more about you and your work past, present, and future. Do you have a website? Yeah, absolutely. I do. Yep, it's just www.taylorkmejia.com and all of my books are on there with links to find out more and buy them if they sound interesting. And then I'm also on social media. I'm most active on Instagram. My handle is just at Taylor K. And then I'm on Twitter as well, a little bit less frequently. So for the for the most updates, definitely Instagram's the place to go. And I do a lot of like Q and A's about writing craft and um, other fun kind of events on my Instagram. So if you're interested in writing and stories, it's a fun place to be. I think. And with this uh, this book comes out um, officially today, right? Yeah, today's the day. Is the fact that that this story um, is to some degree uh, a Mexican American story, does it make it more significant for young people of of Mexican uh, heritage, or is this um, really something that that all young people can um, enjoy and and perhaps learn from? Yeah, absolutely. I think I I always hope that, you know, readers who share my cultural background will feel at home in the story in a way that we don't often get the chance to feel at home in stories. But I do think it's equally valuable for readers outside of Mexican-American culture, too, because, like I said, I've had so many readers get in touch and say, I related to this story more than I expected to. And I think there's this sort of dangerous idea that, you know, cultures are so different and so other and we can't possibly understand them and because we didn't grow up with with their mythology they're going to be so separate from us and what we believe but you know like i was saying a little bit before it's there's such a common thread of humanity that we find through stories that have repeated through generations and i think it's really important to find versions of ourselves and stories that are not necessarily about our experience. And that's kind of how we humanize each other. 
Well, Taylor, it's always a pleasure talking with you, and I, I want to thank you. But I also want to thank your, uh, your family for uh, giving you the gift of storytelling. That's very sweet, and I always enjoy talking to you. Hopefully, I'll get to do it again next year. <laughs> I, I, well, I hope it doesn't take a, a whole year again. Was it a little bit weird getting this book out um, because of the pandemic? Oh, yeah, it's very weird. I think everybody's job is weird right now, but definitely I'm used to a little more interaction. I get, I used to get to go on big tours to bookstores and school visits and just kind of, like, see more people in person and connect with them that way. So moving everything online has definitely been interesting. But in a lot of ways, it's been cool because it's more accessible to more people in different places. So I've probably heard from more readers than I usually do, but I do miss that in-person element of things, definitely. Well, Taylor, I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to talk, and uh, hopefully you're, you're catching your breath after your uh, nightmare and, and the rest of your <laughs> interviews will, will go smoothly and no technical glitches and all that kind of stuff. Taylor, thank you so much. Thank you so much, too. It was great talking to you. Take care. You, too. Bye-bye. The book is uh, book two in the uh, Paula Santiago series from Taylor K. Maya, and it's called And the Forest of Nightmares, and it's, uh, it's officially out today. And with that, we're going to take a uh, short break, and we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight <music> Are we crazy? 
Science, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. 
TheTomSumnerProgram.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. The outpatients are out in force tonight, I see. Good. <laughs> now. I'm sure you're all aware that this week is National Gallbladder Week. <laughs> and so as, as sort of an educational feature at this point, I thought I would acquaint you with some of the results of my recent researches into the career of the late Dr. Samuel Gall, inventor of the gallbladder, <laughs> which, uh, which certainly ranks as one of the more important technological advances since the invention of the joy buzzer and the dribble glass. <laughs> Dr. Gall's faith in his invention was so dramatically vindicated last year, as you no doubt recall, when for the first time in history in a nationwide poll, the gallbladder was voted among the top 10 organs. <laughs> his, uh, his educational career began, interestingly enough, in agricultural school where he majored in animal husbandry until they caught him at it one day. <laughs> whereupon, whereupon he switched to the field of medicine, in which field he also won renown as the inventor of gargling, which uh, prior to that time had been practiced only furtively by a remote tribe in the Andes who passed the secret down from father to son as part of their oral tradition. <laughs> he, uh... he soon became a specialist specializing in diseases of the rich. <laughs> was therefore able to retire at an early age. To the land we all dream about, sunny Mexico, of course, the last part of which is completely irrelevant, as was the whole thing, I guess, except it's a rather sneaky way of getting into this next type of popular song, which is one of those things about that magic and romantic land south of the border. When it's fiesta time Guadalajara Then I long to be back once again in old Mexico Where we lived for today never giving a thought to Tamara To the strumming of guitars in a hundred grubby bars I would whisper Te Amo would serenade and they would not shut up till they were paid we ate we drank and we were merry and we got typhoid and dysentery but best of all we went to the plaza de toros now whenever i start feeling morose i revive by recalling that scene Like Belmonte, Dominguina, and Manolete 
If I live to 180, I shall never forget what they mean. beautiful in this world than the sight of a lone man facing single-handedly a half a ton of angry pot roast. Out came the matador who must have been potted or slightly insane but who looked rather bored. And the picadors, of course, each one on his horse. I shouted, Holy! every time one was gored. <laughs> I cheered at the banderilleros' display as they stuck the bull in their own clever way. For I hadn't had so much fun since the day my brother's dog, Rover, got run over. Rover was killed by a Pontiac and it was done with such grace and artistry that the witnesses awarded the driver both ears and the tail. But I digress. The moment had come, I swallowed my gum. We knew there'd be blood on the sand pretty soon. Held its breath, hoping that death would brighten an otherwise dull afternoon. At last, the matador did what we wanted him to. He raised his sword, and his aim was true. In that moment of truth, I suddenly knew that someone had stolen my wallet. <laughs> Fiesta time in Akron, Ohio. But it's back to old Guadalajara. I'm longing to go far away from the strikes of the AFL and CIO. How I wish I could get back to the land of the wetback and forget the Alamo. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. service announcement. Election day is near. Go to the polls and vote. Vote for the Kennedy of your choice, but vote. <laughs> Old-fashioned radio for a new generation Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Summer 
Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com
It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.